Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh, and with me is Fry. Hello. And today we'll be talking about the infamous Star Wars Holiday Special, and I'm pleased to introduce a very special guest, Emmy Award-winning writer, novelist, and playwright whose play special tells the story of how the aforementioned Star Wars Holiday Special came to TV screens in 1978, Mr. Andrew Osborne. Hello. So for our listeners who are not familiar with special, your play, could you briefly explain what it's about? What, well, what it's about is a behind-the-scenes making of the Star Wars Holiday Special, which is regarded as the worst thing ever on TV. Uh, and, and just, it, it, it doesn't make any sense uh, if you see it. No part of it makes any sense whatsoever. And so it's the story of the nonsensical events that led up to the creation of this fiasco um involving george lucas and all the star wars people but also uh you know all these 1970s variety show people who got into a, a weird alliance to make this <laughs> terrible show and so like comedy writers like bruce valanche and a woman who produced the carol burnett show and jefferson starship and mimes and it's 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 a very uh strange story that may have, at least in our version, uh, there's also, uh, it also maybe contributed to the, uh, the end of George Lucas's marriage and the start of uh, just, just marketing uh, toys as entertainment being the most important force in show business. So it's a goofy story, but it has some larger Im implications. No, well, that is certainly true. And I should say um, that I was lucky enough to actually see a production of Special in Los Angeles, I think in January 2019. Was that uh, the last time you mounted a production of Special? Yeah. Well, no, actually, it played in 2019 in L.A. And then um, there was another production of it in Northern California with a different company that somehow heard about it and they just wanted to put it on. And then we oh, were cool. going to do... A... Oh, wait, no. So I think like... Yeah, it was 2019... The one you saw and then the next one was later in 2019 and then we were gonna move to a larger theater in la in 2020 but then what <laughs> happened yeah. so right now you are actually in the process of or the planning stages of of adapting your play special to graphic novel format is that correct that is correct because we had uh, an illustrator who did some of the graphics for the stage show, uh, Jared Boone, and sometime in the middle of COVID, I started thinking, well, hey, if we can't do any, you know, theatrical restagings, maybe we could start working on a graphic novel. So we, we have like, uh, you know, we have about uh, 16 pages done now. Uh, and so, um, but we want to do more <laughs> and finish the whole thing. So we're going to launch uh, that Kickstarter on Star Wars Day, which of course is May the 4th. You can sign up for that in advance at uh, specialtheplay.com, which was the website for the play and is now becoming the website for the uh, graphic. Got it. Got it. When you mentioned that, I was really excited to hear that because I really enjoyed the play very much. And I was telling a lot of uh, my friends about it. But unfortunately, you know, play, it sort of has to exist in physical space. And we're not really doing that anymore. <laughs> I do think 
the play that you wrote really lends itself to that format because there are a lot of characters, a lot of scene changes, you jump around in uh, time and everything. So I think that that's a really great dimension to the story on the page. I think it'll work really, really well. So it's really cool. Yeah. And I think it'll make it easier for, especially for people who aren't, you know, uh, deep Star Wars heads uh, who already know a lot of the cast of characters to keep track of everything. Because as you know, from seeing the play, um, the play had a cast of six people. It was four men, two women, and a special guest star. Um, and those uh, seven people had to play like, <laughs> I don't, about a hundred parts. Uh, and they would just keep switching back and forth. There was one actor who had to play two um, CBS executives and they would argue with each other in the scene. <laughs> Uh, which was fine, and it's it like added a lot of energy to the play. But I think like in graphic novel form, you can see the actual locations and the actual people, uh, which should help to clarify things for anyone who didn't understand what was going on in the play. Although I will no. say, um, when I was reading it, the uh, once I got the character list like straight in my head, it was surprisingly easy to like uh, follow and like remember who was who. Well, that's so, good I don't know hear. why that was. I think I think it was just because I, the way that you grouped some of the characters, because Steve and George were, I think, the same actor. Exactly, and Steve, yeah. uh, Steve being the one who, so George Lucas conceived of the Star Wars Holiday Special as a way of, so Star Wars, you know, had been this major hit, but it was taking a long time to get the the sequel going. And, you know, executives were starting to worry that the Star Wars magic was going to wear off. And so they figured, oh, well, we'll do a TV version and that'll keep people interested. Um, so George Lucas really didn't want to do it at first, but then he had some ideas, mostly involving Wookiees, a lot of Wookiees, a lot of just Wookiee grunting. Um, and, you know, and so that is sort of how that came to be. And then he at a certain point just abandoned the project entirely and the first director got fired and so steve was the guy who came in he was an old tv vet who managed to like you know sort of bring this mess in for a landing uh uh and then pretended you know kind of got left holding the bag <laughs> i think probably left it um, off his resume the rest were. of his life there was nothing but you know, technical difficulties during the uh, the making of it. Like, they didn't pump air into the masks of the people playing aliens, so they were passing out on the set. They didn't have enough money to, like, build the, you know, the big uh, holiday special set in the, that, you know, sort of was what the whole <laughs> show was about. So, yeah, disastrous on every level. <laughs> yeah, I had seen the holiday special when I was a kid, um, and I was certainly aware of its uh, reputation, but I wasn't aware until I saw your show, or I guess I never really thought about the perspective of the people who actually worked on it, and the idea that the production of the special itself, like, was also kind of a train wreck. So that was sort of something I learned from your play. And along those lines, out of curiosity, how did this come to be? What made you write this play about the making of the star wars holiday special i presume you were already a star wars fan is that oh yeah is that a fair yeah <laughs> and, and and uh and still you know deeply traumatized by watching the you know star wars <laughs> holiday special when it originally aired which i and there are two characters in the play you know one of whom sort of represents me I where <laughs> a young uh a young geeky uh preteen very 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 excited 
to find to finally get some more Star Wars after seeing the movie in theaters like twelve or thirteen times, and then just waiting for more Star Wars to enjoy, and then it was going to be right on TV, and it only took about I don't know about twenty minutes in, you just realized, oh, this is what is happening. This is not. Not only is it not Star Wars, you're ruining Star Wars. You're suddenly making <laughs> Star Wars seem terrible. Uh, uh, which, of course, George Lucas himself would later go on to do, ironically. But uh, no, so I, so it always <laughs> sort of stuck with me. And I just thought it would be a funny... Um, because every now and then, like, an article would come out or you'd hear, you know, somebody interviewed about it. And all the stories just sounded so crazy that I started just figuring now this is because i love movies about behind the scenes stuff of like you know uh i think of one off the top of my head but i mean they're they're actually doing one coming up about the making of the godfather you know and, and i'm always yeah. so i'm always interested in those behind the scenes stories and i was amazed that nobody had done it for the star wars holiday special so i wrote a screenplay and i was gonna i was starting to try to pitch it around but then I had a friend who I had worked with in L.A. theater before who was another, you know, fellow uh, Star Wars head. And I sent him the script and he loved it. And next thing I knew, he had um, somehow, I still don't know how he did it, but he, he got Lance Guest to agree to play Han Solo. And Lance Guest was a an actual star pilot in The Last Starfighter and had this sort of cult following of his own and so I thought, well, all right, I guess we're doing a play then. <laughs> oh, and that, the other thing was, it was also the 40th anniversary of the of the first and only airing of the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, so it seemed like, okay, well, the the we got to do it right now. This is the time. No, yeah, definitely. So, so that's interesting. A lot of things you said just uh, really make a lot of sense. The idea that you're you're into movies that are sort of behind the scenes of movies because. You know, one of the things that is really clear to me, both when I first saw the play and in rereading it in preparation for this, is full disclosure, I also at one time for years on and off, I was writing a screenplay that covered a facet of the behind the scenes of Star Wars. So so I read, uh, you know, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. I read Skywalking, the Dale Pollock, George Lucas biography, and I read all the making ofs and countless articles and magazines and stuff. And one of the things that really struck me about special was that even though it's sort of a heightened version of events, like there was this feeling of authenticity throughout. There were these um, details and the characterizations. I immediately could tell like, oh, like, like this guy read all that stuff. Like he knows exactly what he's talking about. Like he isn't like making all this up. Yeah. And the larger context too, like the um, like of other things that these people were involved in around the same time, um, like Carrie Fisher's uh, was uh, "Leave Yesterday Behind" was the uh, TV movie I think they mentioned or like referenced. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and then like uh, George Harrison, uh, I, I looked that up. It was a combo like uh, I think what he uh, uh, recorded here. He uh, like filmed his um, like one of his uh, tours that was never released um is okay. that is that what happened there <laughs> now i'm trying to remember what the george harrison part was <laughs> he mentions it was very quick he mentions that like uh george harrison called him from a oh that, uh, yeah, that's, room and, yeah that's right that's right you know what i think that i think that that was just a throwaway line i didn't that just happened to wind up being true because really? it is <laughs> i think it, 
because because the, there's definitely like research about what like like Harrison Ford I think was in the guns of Navarone at the time. And the interesting right. thing about it is that you know they really weren't you know the actors weren't rich and famous. They they you know and George Lucas had just suddenly become well he'd already done American Graffiti and so he already had kind of a stop and start career going but these were all just people just trying to make a living you know and they they you know so they were taking any crummy jobs they could even though they were in the biggest movie of all time which is kind of a fun aspect of it but there was so there was a lot of i mean i had read like you know histories of it and i had heard different things over the years um for instance one of the things after i think the script was written or right around the time the script was being written, it came out that like Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher had definitely had an affair. So that right. sort of entered into it that like, Oh, wait a minute. So at the time they were doing the special, they were, there was probably a little sexual tension going on there. Um, and then I went and then like when I needed information, I had to go down some weird rabbit holes. Like I, I found out, whoops, I found out all like this information about Marsha Lucas, who was George Lucas's um, wife at the time and how the first cut of star Wars was just a disaster. And she had to come in and just save the movie with her editing skills, but she was trying to get as she, she wanted a non star Wars life. And so like her story, there's not a lot of information out there, but then stuff, some stuff was just kind of, you know, we were just guessing at, and, um, you may, if you, if you see her, uh, read the play, one of the characters is Bruce Valanche, who's a legendary comedy writer and my director friend, Care Lord again, again, uh, he, with his mystical ways also somehow got the script to, um, to Bruce and we were hoping he would love it, but quite the opposite was true. And he sent us an <laughs> angry email about all the inaccuracies, which is why really? we is then that- did a a rewrite where the Bruce Valanche character keeps interrupting the play to say how it's all fake. It's just, <laughs> you, sh- you shouldn't believe anything you're hearing. Um, he didn't like the way he was portrayed. And even though we clearly love Bruce Valanche and then he sure. came to see the show because he's such a good sport and like took photos with the guy playing him. So he's a, he's a multi-layered man that Bruce Valanche, but he would <laughs> will tell you that it is a, true ish story you know uh, a lot of stuff is true a lot of stuff is sort of in a hazy gray area i was did he object to being uh portrayed as uh that flamboyant because i remember that's one of the it's like by the way i'm not this flamboyant in real life yeah we, we actually like tried to tone it down except that you know because bruce valanche is actually pretty dry um you know despite his crazy you know hairdo and but he, he you know he all but i think i was thinking of bruce valanche from when he was on hollywood squares and he would sort of he took over from paul lynn i think as the guy who always said the craziest things and a lot of his quotes were pretty crazy so he may have said them in a more sort of dry way but you know he still gets some pretty crazy uh you know, he's, he's a fun-loving guy, so that's what we were trying to get across. That's so interesting that he had that reaction, uh, but then uh, when all is said and done, he he showed up for a performance. I know. Well, he's a showbiz, you know, yeah. showbiz people. It's a love-hate uh, thing with showbiz. <laughs> Maybe he just wanted to be involved before he started to like it. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, you know, I guess he also figured, ah, it's just going to be on stage for a few weeks. I 
you know, it reminded me of that Seinfeld episode where uh, Kathy Griffin plays another comic who starts making fun of Jerry. And the more she, the more trouble he gives her, like the bigger, like her act gets. And I think he was trying to nip it in the bud. Like he was like, well, maybe if I just make nice with them, it'll just go away. So <laughs> sorry, but we, we do love you, Bruce. We love so I don't know if one of the revisions you made in response to that was sort of uh, you have these um, very funny and I think well-positioned disclaimers at the beginning. So right up front, you know, you're sort of cueing the audience to the idea that like, hey, this isn't coming out of nowhere. But that said, like we made a lot of it up, like uh, we're here to entertain you to tell a story. Right. Well, and the disclaimers um, were mostly and they were there from the beginning just because it's it's. I mean, it's Disney intellectual property now and nobody messes with the mouse, you know, the, Disney's a company that'll go after like little, little, you know, tiny uh, child daycare centers if they yeah. paint an unauthorized mouse on their wall. So we made sure that the story was not only tangentially about Star Wars, it's mainly about the real life people, you know, it's, it's a form of journalism, really. So for instance, our, our Wookiees, you know, they, they were just paper bags that looked vaguely simian. Yes, exactly. There you go. Yeah. Another, there was another, uh, one of the performances, um, it looked like, it looked actually pretty cool. Like the bags, uh, that were, they almost looked like little ghillie suits. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well, our, one of our actors, uh, M Marty, you, uh, actually we, I started with the paper bag concept and then he totally tricked it out and made it look yeah. much better, but <laughs> not, uh, copyrighted. So right. <laughs> that's why we had to be very careful with all that stuff. Because I mentioned that at one time I was working on a screenplay about Marsha Lucas and yeah. her relationship with George Lucas, which I eventually, I realized the stuff that was really fascinating to me about that story was going to put me in a position of like having to write scenes about these real human beings, personal lives that I just felt really uncomfortable about. I went back and forth and at the end of the day, I just landed on, you know what? I don't want to write this because, because it doesn't feel like it's my right to make things up about somebody's personal life. I mean, imagine if you went and you saw a movie, somebody, somebody dramatized a romantic relationship from your past that like left you emotionally changed for the rest of your life. And like some nobody was like, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, this would make a great movie. And then they like made up all these intimate uh, moments of your life. So that is to say that I was grappling with that. How do I make it clear that a lot of this is sort of my own extrapolation, my own dramatization. And then when I saw special, I was like, these guys nailed it because you, you made it funny. So by bringing the humor out that sort of immediately disarms the audience and like, they could sort of never forget that this is an interpretation of yeah. something real. There's an um, immediate, yeah. immediate reason why it exists. <laughs> I, I think it helps too. If you can see things from, you know, people's, for sort of both sides, you know, like I, sure. I just felt really bad sort of for both of them, even though, uh, their exactly. careers were going great that, you know, he's just, I mean, by all accounts, he's George Lucas is just a very intense guy, uh, real workaholic and workaholic, she, yeah. you know, and she's just exasperated with him for not, you know, giving much of himself to her and, you know, and I'm a bit of a workaholic, 
so I can uh, sort of relate to that with my own wife who gets very exasperated with me sometimes for, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought, thought it was, was, uh, it was interesting, but I liked also that it was funny, but I think that it also brought in sort of a relatable, I mean, it was true. I mean, it just happened to be in the story, but it, it kind of, I think for people who aren't totally aware of what's going on with star Wars, they, you know, that part of the play, they're like, oh yeah, I get, you know, yeah, I get right. marital tensions. Yeah. I don't know about right. rookies, but I, I know about, uh, I, I, I know that look she's giving him right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so in all of your research, was there anything you learned or that you discovered that surprised you that you were like, oh, well, well, I have to put that in the play. I mean, there was so much stuff, like there was stuff like that I couldn't wedge in because with the yeah. Marsha and George thing, uh, apparently, and I, oh, I can't think of the person's name, but apparently somebody he was collaborating with on the Empire Strikes Back script, like had a heart attack and maybe died. I can't remember if they, they died or, 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 or not, but so he was, so that was like, oh my God, that's insane. All these insane things happened around, uh, the, the Star Wars holiday special. I mean, you know, you mentioned George Harrison, but there was also the, the, the weird thing about that Steve Bender who came in to, you know, to, uh, to take over the filming, uh, had done the Elvis comeback special, which is insane. <laughs> he had worked with Shields and Yarnell. Yeah. So of course we had to bring in some mime action. I mean, there were just so many weird conflicting because it's the seventies. It's, you know, it's not just a star Wars holiday, uh, you know, story or a showbiz story, but it's a seventies showbiz story. <laughs> so it was this weird, like you mentioned that, um, that pictures at a revolution, which is such a great book, which is that same era when the old school Hollywood is just completely crashing against the new school and like the new directors and the youth culture and everything else. And that was all happening around the time of the Star Wars holiday special, too. Because these weird people, you're like, how are these people ever in the same room together, you know? <laughs> I had to uh, look up uh, the Shields and Yarnell, like uh, Christmas at Walt Disney World special after <laughs> after reading that. And like that was, uh, they were, because like they appear, they're a husband and wife mime, mime team, and they appear as uh, like babies in that, like, uh, and they act out being a baby. So I had to like <laughs> see what that looked like. And I was even wilder than I was expecting because they end up with their thumbs in each other's mouths and they just, they're yeah. sucking each other's thumbs. And, in uh, these long, long <laughs> scenes, like, you know, because everything's so fast paced now, you, you yeah. forget that like, TV used to just go on and on endlessly with these non-funny bits. And I hope uh, that uh, anyone listening who hasn't seen it will go uh, search the YouTube video of the Donnie and Marie show uh star wars holiday tribute which we we i didn't want to show it during the play because it was copyrighted but it's so bizarre that we just had to throw up a clip of it you know uh <laughs> so it's i mean it's kind of like i i compare it to how like ed uh you know everybody says ed wood who did like plan nine from outer space and everybody says oh his movies are so terrible and they are but they're at least interesting and like, but people say, oh, the acting is so wooden and it's just, so, but it's like, well, yeah, but look at mainstream movies at the time. They were yeah. even worse because they didn't have like Vampira and Dor Johnson in them. They just had the bad <laughs> dialogue and the bad acting. So it's kind of like, you know, you look at the Star Wars holiday special and it's terrible, but you also have to say, 
yes, it's terrible, but look at every other 70s variety show, you know? it's Compared to those, it's not quite as terrible. And at least it had the cool cartoon with uh, Boba Fett. Which is, I think everyone acknowledges the best thing about the holiday special is the Boba Fett cartoon. I don't, like in the, within the special, the, the holiday special itself, like the, I never really realized before last time I watched it that Lumpy is watching that as if it's like a real life document. Like it's supposed to be happening. <laughs> and like, it is, it is yeah. hologram machine. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a, which is a metaverse kind of thing because he's like watching a show about yeah. things that are actually happening in the universe he's living in, which doesn't but it's, really. Make sense. But it's animated. It's animated <laughs> for some reason. No, yeah, that was something that stuck out to me on this watch. Oh, but Andrew, you mentioned something really interesting. One of the other things I really loved about special was exactly what you said is like it's not just about the behind the scenes of the star wars holiday special it's also sort of a window into the very end of this tradition of the variety show on tv so it gave me the thought like maybe one of the reasons why uh star wars holiday special just seems so wrong is because the way you alluded to in the beginning of this was how Star Wars created a new blueprint for how films and movies are marketed. And like, so you have Star Wars married to this really kind of retro, no longer relevant format that was kind of on the wane. So you like have the meeting of this tradition of the variety show and all of the career writers and directors and talent who created those meeting up with like the next thing. And it's like, trying to meld them together when at the end of the day, like that was a marriage that was never going to work out. And, and it does, you know, there is sort of a, uh, it's interesting because like, it would be interesting if George Lucas had stayed more involved and they had given him like total control and probably way more money than they could afford. But, you know, cause he had like, a, he had sort of an interesting sort of side Star Wars story in mind. Yeah. Uh, but it just would have been impossible to pull off on a on a uh, on a TV budget, and then he just dropped it all. It's kind of like I think, like you know, uh, to cross my geekdom streams. It's kind of it's very very much. I never thought about it until just the second, but it's very much the difference between the first season of Twin Peaks when David Lynch was like in charge of every detail, and the, then the horrible second season of Twin Peaks when he wasn't involved and just like just just people were directing episodes of you know MacGyver or whatever were coming in and it's like oh yeah what's the thing oh we're, yeah Twin Peaks okay I'm gonna add some weird stuff because this is the weird show right and it just like right. it looked like Twin Peaks still but just it had this crazy awful new personality and that's what the Star Wars holiday special is for the most part. It looks like Star Wars, but it's just, it's like an invasion of the body snatchers, Star Wars. And it's just <laughs> filled with mediocrity. Perfect. Yeah, well, I think you're right. I think some of George Lucas's ideas for what this could have become, they are halfway interesting. You know, the first uh, 20 minutes of the special where it's just Wookiees grunting at each other. <laughs> I mean, obviously it doesn't work, but on another level, the idea that this was actually on TV is fucking bonkers. <laughs> it's it hallucinatory. Yes, exactly. So, so on one level, it's like, it's like sort of mesmerizing and incredible. Like, I can't believe yeah. that 
that this actually made it to television. <laughs> but what you made me realize, it's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, what did they expect? If you were to try to make a Star Wars movie, but as a live three camera uh, TV show, like, yeah. what do you think you're going to get? <laughs> because Star Wars itself is weird. Like you said before, it's meant putting this, the thing of Star Wars into the variety show formats, but it's like, it already is a weird thing. It just kind of works like in the original format. Well, so for instance, like, I mean, I, I remember like watching it and just being so horrified because it wasn't Star Wars, but then you got to that little oasis of the cartoon where you're like, okay, well, but this is now, this isn't Star Wars either, but at least it's kind of a cartoon of Star Wars that's taking place in the Star Wars universe. But then after that, there's also the thing where you have B. Arthur, you know, 70s TV star, later Golden Girl, who is in her own little reality in the, you know, Star Wars cantina. And they've got like all the aliens from the Star Wars cantina. So comparatively, it looks the most like Star Wars yeah. of anything else. But then you have like Harvey Corbin coming in and doing dumb gags. But it's kind of like by that point, you'd been so beaten down by the show and like how bad it was that. I remember, like, I had a little affection for that scene because I was like, all right, well, whatever this is, okay, at least, I guess, B. Arthur, you know, Harvey Corbin, he's in love with B. Arthur, and I don't know, I'm in this weird middle space now, where I'm like, all right, well, I guess I kind of get about this story, which is kind of Star Wars, there's a musical number, and then they close the bar down, and I remember I felt bad, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, she's not going to see her friends at the bar anymore. Then they thought, what's happening to me? Why am I getting this the benefit of the doubt? It's complicated. It's a complicated uh, show to unpack. <laughs> that just reminded me of that part in your in your play. When you, oh. when you pointed out the, uh, the, you know, like, like pouring the booze in his head. <laughs> were... Well, and that part, I mean, like when I saw it, I was, I, I don't know, it must have been a, what, 13 maybe, I guess. I, I can't remember the exact time. But, you know, I was not, and I was, I knew it was dumb. And I was like, how do adults, how do grown adults, well, I guess they thought they were doing a kiddie show. And adults always try to dumb stuff down for kids. Yeah. As opposed to, which is silly though, because in the 70s, you know, we loved Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know, growing up. And, and, you know, I loved the Muppet show and stuff because it wasn't written down to us. You know, it was just, and it's like Pixar movies now. It's for kids, but it's adults trying to make adults laugh, you know? So I didn't right. know why they had all this childish stuff. But then, and then it's like, somehow all that childish stuff wound up in the actual Star Wars movies. I mean, like, sure, yeah. you know, it, if you look at the, uh, if, I mean, that, the, the, the two, uh, the sportscasters in the pod race in uh, yeah. the Phantom Menace and, and the kid going, yippee! And like they're doing, I mean, that could have been right out of the Star Wars holiday special. It was just, <laughs> it dumb. they didn't have the excuse of it was a bad variety show. It's like, no, they're actually doing that in the movie now. Jar Jar Binks <laughs> could have strolled right into the a Star Wars holiday special and not looked out of place. So oh, I, I would know. love to. I would love to have seen uh, 1978 holiday specials. Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> that would... George Lucas, I think, took the wrong lesson from that <laughs> holiday special somehow. And then, but then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the Mind Evaporator, <laughs> which is <laughs> which was... like softcore pornography. Strangely enough, yeah. yeah. I just read, I think somebody, I don't know if it was the first time this was ever revealed, but um, somebody involved with Star Wars, uh, just like in November, posted on Twitter that Joe Johnston, that was originally 
uh, a concept that Joe Johnson like designed, and I think it was called the environmental transporter. And the point was to show like how the the positive like uh, wiki outlook on life, like that's what it was like supposed to be this kind of like wholesome thing. So it's kind of funny that it just turned into the mind evaporator, which um, I, I don't know what it's what it's supposed to be. It's I just like that. It's going into you're seeing uh, like Itchy's. You're getting a real insight into like Itchy's mind because he creates technically he creates that character. I mean, it's Diane Tyler also. He's you know he's, he's yeah. uh, you know, I mean, he's it's a pretty good uh, character to come up with. Sure, Cooing yeah. in your weird Wookie year, you know. <laughs> One of the problems it seems to me is really the the variety show format, um, uh, because like I mean, like you were just talking about we we get it's like it's a star wars story but then all of a sudden we have like uh like these acrobatic mimes like you know doing a show we stop there for for five or ten minutes and then uh diane carroll shows up and then uh, we're in the diane carroll show for uh, for 10 minutes then uh jefferson starship so so whenever something starts happening that is like halfway good like they like the show completely stops and does something like uh completely wacky that like that that totally interrupts the flow and then you're like okay i guess now i'm watching um uh, uh this weird uh julia child by way of <laughs> like droid like like i don't know uh like like harvey corman's in drag and it's like not a funny bit and it keeps going on and on and on <laughs> and it's just like what is this so so i'm wondering if it's like if like like, I don't know if it's an indictment of the varieties f- format as a whole, or if it's just a bad idea for these uh, two particular um, styles to uh, to be put together. Well, it's probably that. It's probably that. Know, there is one of the things that we got from Bruce Valanche. I'm pretty, I, I think I'm remembering this correctly, because, you know, in, when we're emailing, um, he said something that became a line in the play, which was, you know, that this was just all disposable, you know, they weren't expecting it to, they just thought they were, it was a paycheck. They were just pumping out some star Wars. Like he had worked in variety shows and you didn't watch him again. It was just taking up space, you know, uh, and somebody would come out and plug their album and stuff, you know, so he didn't think he was going to be haunted by it for the next 40 years, you know? Uh, and I think that that there's some truth to that, that like, as bad as it is, they didn't think they thought that would be it. And Pat Proft, who was one of the writers of it, um, <clears throat> along with Lenny Rips, who and they like Bruce Valanche were the writers, and like Bruce Valanche, Lenny Rips actually did show up to see uh, the 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 play, oh, wow. and he was he was laughing all the way through it, and he said, "Yeah, it seems." You know, as opposed to Bruce Valanche, you was like, no, this seems pretty accurate, actually. You know, <laughs> but, you know, and so people's memories of it are different, too. And he admitted, like, he wasn't there the whole time. He was only there, like, at the beginning. Um, and then he was objecting to things like, you know, there's a party where, um, where he and Pat Proft got together to watch the show, and they were just, they had friends and it was, they were just horrified when they saw the final production and they had to turn everything off. But like Lenny in the play for various reasons, it's at Pat's house. And Lenny was like, yeah, it was all pretty accurate, but you know, that party was at my house, you know? So it's, 
people, people are like fine with letting stuff go as long as it do- isn't directly about them is, is something I learned from this. No, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, which that's one of the trivia facts that's apparently like the show, you know, it's Star Wars on TV, but as soon as the cartoon was done, like it lost right. in the ratings to a Love Boat rerun, you know, which is just crazy. And I keep, you know, when I say all this stuff, like, and I don't know, you know, there are some people who, I mean, you mentioned like Shields and Yarnell later and you said they were a my husband and wife couple and like i'm old enough that i just assume everyone knows what i'm talking about but i said yeah it's a left note thing and there's a lot, like there's a line about larry sturge and you know like a lot of people are like i don't i don't know i don't know who any of these people are i don't know what any of these shows are so but i'm glad you know i'm glad that uh, when people see it and get the gist of it and go yeah okay yeah. I, I don't know what you're talking about but i, I get what's are, going uh, on at in least names i've heard even if i got yeah. the larry sturge joke and so that that yeah. warms my heart but <laughs> It's my favorite line in the show. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Where do you think the holiday special went wrong? Do you think there's a good, do you think there's a good version of this that was possible? Or do you think it was just an ill-conceived idea from the word go? I do because, I mean, it was probably a bad idea from the get-go, but there, there was some, you know, and I have to be careful because sometimes I, I forget like, wait, did I make that up? Or was that based on something? But I think it was true. That George Lucas really was interested in Nelvana in uh, animation, and he had seen like a little half-hour thing that they did um, that was like a, a cosmic Christmas, I think. And he saw that and he said, "Oh, okay, that's actually pretty good." And it's science fiction on a budget, but it's got like a real vision. And I think like one of the problems is that I think it's like two hours long, or it's way too long. I think that if they had made a half-hour show, it could have been more concentrated it could have been more you know there could have been like one vision guiding it and i think that that also happened in entertainment in general as well where just these things became just big and bloated and and it's just i mean a lot of movies today are just they're like these little bits and some of them are better than others but it's just like go it's in a thing that goes on and on and on and you're like what the 90 minute version of this really would might have been good, but the three out part one, three hour that's going to be followed by another three hour part for a story that's got about 90 minutes of story. Yeah. It, it bloat, bloat is a big problem with the special. It's so interesting you said that because my takeaway from this most recent viewing, which I watched it uh, the whole way through, probably for the first time in 20 some odd years, if not the first time I actually watched it the whole way through, uh, my overall impression was like, this should be half as long. Yeah. Uh, Because like there were some individual things in there. I'm like, okay, like that's an interesting moment or (laughs) I see what the idea was there. And like, there's something there, there's something there, but it just goes, it's not cohesive. It's just all over the place. And there's so much, there's so much um, breathing yeah. room. Like you could do like a whole yoga breathing exercise and like not have missed anything. <laughs> um, well, then, and then there's, but then there's the other side of it, which is that like um, George Lucas, as we came to discover, also had some very bad instincts, you know? And I don't know, again, like I don't, and a lot of them started showing up uh, later so maybe they wouldn't have shown up because this was between Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back, you know, when people, right. you know, I mean, he had done uh, American graffiti, which is great. I mean, it's just, it's inconceivable to me that George Lucas somehow did 
a movie that was so character-based and just so funny and so good. I love Star Wars. Most people say The Empire Strikes Back is better. I am, I, I'll, I'll fight on that. Uh, the first Star Wars is better hill. But nevertheless, you know, and they're pretty good. But then as you go along, like some of George Lucas's weirder impulses come in. And so, and again, I don't think he's responsible, but like there is some weird stuff uh, in the Star Wars holiday special that goes beyond like the, uh, uh, the variety show thing, like the fact that, you know, the, the, the book, the Wookiee, I guess it's Chewbacca's wife. He comes back and you know that she's the female Wookiee because she's wearing <laughs> like an apron. And so there's some of that weird 70s stuff. And then there's like the, the, there are these like other levels of it that you watch that you didn't necessarily notice at the time, but you look back on like, like Carrie Fisher's really super glassy eyes every time she's on screen and you know there's all these other layers to it that are sort of meta beyond the the special the special itself but they're still sort of captured there in the whole 70s-ness of it so yeah. i don't know but there might have been a good i think if the whole thing had been animated that might have been actually good yeah instead yeah, of that... kind of cult classic good yeah no no i think that's a fair point i think yeah i mean one of the problems i think is just like the medium of of television like the the videoness of it like the live tv sort of look of it all like just feels really wrong and it's a little bit off-putting like i think on a subconscious level i think that that's a big part of it it just like feels wrong like aesthetically and especially because because like you know if you think about it like doctor who episodes were on video you know but you just sort of that was the look of doctor right. who you just sort of bought into it because that's what doctor who always looked like but star wars nothing had ever looked like star wars i mean i think like right. the only things in that came close were maybe like wizard of oz in terms of just like everything i'm looking at on screen is just i've never seen anything like this you know or 2001 and i'm sure there are like other examples but i knew it i know it blew my mind when i but especially because everything was so gritty and realistic in 70s films and then to just be in a complete fantasy world where you where everything looked good i mean i say uh for the most part give or take um and i'm talking about the original uh, if you can ever get your hands on the original, and of course, George Lucas has tried to wipe it out and he's put all these digital effects in it, but like the, the, the special effects hold up today, you know? Uh, yeah. and, and like I saw, uh, 2001 on the big screen and it looks like it was shot in space as opposed to stuff that comes out like yesterday where it just yeah. looks completely fake, you know? So I think that was part of it too, that Star Wars, not only was it the variety show and you know, meeting the new filmmaking, but it was also kind of like this realism giving way to like the beginning of geek culture, um, where everything was just realistic. And then this complete fantasy world came in and that was clashing too. So well, it was a lot yeah, yeah. that special. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. Part of what made Star Wars, Star Wars, and like, so unlike what people um, had ever seen before was that sense of, oh, like this feels real. But then when you see it rendered in this like low budget live TV kind of vibe where it's like it all the looks fake, it's like the lighting is flat and weird, it completely loses at least at least 50% of what made Star Wars Star Wars, right? Like what was unique about it. 
I mean, it's just gone. It's like you you show those the alien masks in the cantina, like you uh, you shoot them a certain way and <laughs> yeah. they look one way in the movie, but then you see them on like the live soundstage under this light, like it all. Although looks, that was the most cinematic part like, because of Akumba. <laughs> it was. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The, the director who got fired because uh, he because he didn't know how to direct TV. He was a filmmaker. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, it's true. That probably is the best looking part. But I do. I mean, I think it's like, um, you know, I think that happened with, I mean, it's happening with movies all the time now that they're in the you know, the more HD it gets, the more fake everything suddenly looks. I mean, because that's the whole thing about theater, you know, and then film is, you know, you can go and watch this amazing play, but then when the lights come up, you're just like, oh, everybody's just got all this caked on makeup and everything looks just what was magical a minute ago. Like it completely suddenly you're like, oh, this is just show business. This isn't like a, a galaxy far, far away. This is just more Hollywood crap, you know, and it kind of did. It kind of like, yeah, it, it was a little bit of a, um, you know, finding out there's no Easter Bunny. <laughs> In, in your play, uh, George Lucas, like, uh, he was, like, really uh, into the animation from the beginning, like, working with an animation company. Do you know if that's, like, pretty much true? Or I do think that's true. And I think, like, another one of the things that just, um, you know, with foresight is funny is that, like, apparently Mark Hamill really liked doing the animation, you know, which, of course, would lead <laughs> on to him having a great career in in, uh, in voice acting. Uh but yeah, no, I think I think he did, I, and and it was it really worked out for that Canadian company because they went on to do other shows with George Lucas, like Droids and um, Ewoks. So you know, was it a total disaster for everybody? One of my takeaways from rewatching it recently was Harrison Ford is genuinely pretty good in this. Fry made the observation, well, yeah, well, that's because he's supposed to be grumpy the whole time and he doesn't want to be there. And I was like, fair point, fair point. <laughs> and, and apparently uh, one of the things that didn't make it into the special, I think there's a line about it, but apparently George Lucas in his backstory thought, oh, well, you know, Han Solo, like it fit into his overall worldview because he was like, well, Han Solo knows Chewbacca. And so he's clearly been to the Wookiee planet. And, you know, Han Solo is probably fooled around with a Wookiee. He probably he had a Wookiee wife at one point. I'm like, now that, where's that movie? I mean, that's a prequel I do want to see. That's like, I, I in the special, I love the, the line, uh, Han Solo's line, like, why do I always think taking him for a life day is going to be easy? And I always just, like, what does that mean? Like, the, is it always, they always, like, run into some form of trouble every time he goes there? And I just love the idea that he, I mean, it makes sense because they're such good friends, but, like, he just always takes him home for life day. And that just like, and now that, that fits into is, like him at some point when he's going to take him home to life day, meeting a nice Wookiee and marrying her for a while. <laughs> and that's so sweet. I, I actually have a friend, like, you know, my parents for many years, like had a Christmas caroling party and I had a grumpy friend who I would always drive to it and he never wanted to go. <laughs> he didn't like Christmas caroling. So I, I think I can really appreciate that's a very realistic yeah, dynamic yeah. around the holidays. Well, that implies that we have missed out on decades of yes. holiday specials <laughs> that by all rights we, we someone should dramatize like apparently yeah. they always have some wacky misadventure <laughs> and and i want to see them i want to see what happens every year now you know hopefully uh john favreau will hear <laughs> that uh because you know he did uh do sort of an updated version of a special which i i think i haven't seen yet 
Uh, but what, I think that was it the Lego one? Yeah. Like it's like a Lego. I think, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask you guys a question? This is a little bit off topic, but so so I don't know if you are aware, but either yesterday or the day before, as we're recording this, the Skywalker Saga Lego game I think was released. It just kind of hit me like why. Why are these Lego Star Wars things so such a big deal? I really don't, I don't understand. Like, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I was, once upon a time, really into Legos. I don't understand why this is a thing. I just don't get it. I think it. part of it is, like, the uh, the video games, too. Like, a lot of person, I've only played, like, one or two of them, but, like, people just love those video games, so. But they're Legos. Like, why, I mean, like, if you're making uh, a video game, like, why do they have to be Legos? <laughs> I think... Now, this is, I'm going to just pull in my personal bias here, just so Please. I like to say it as much as possible, and this just gives me another chance, and it might possibly be true. The thing about Legos is they're, they're silly and they're Legos, so you can just have fun. You can just have fun doing Star Wars with Legos, yeah. which Star Wars was supposed to be. It started out fun, and then they put in a, you know, it got a little darker in The Empire Strikes Back, but it wasn't meant to be Greek tragedy. And then suddenly people got it in their head that, like, it had to be the most serious, you know, it's like, you know, more serious than Schindler's List, you know, because it's like, oh, the darkness, father, with, oh, hand Solo, I have to kill you because, oh, the darkness is eating me up. And it's just like, it no, what are you doing? It's a goofy space action movie. And so you can't do that with the very serious themes of darkness eating you up in the later movies. But with the Legos, you yeah. just have fun. You know, that's why I like, I like Solo because it was just fun. It went back to just, yeah. oh yeah, that's right. Star Wars is supposed to be fun. The Legos know? are, you know, they're what? literally giving I... you permission to play with action figures. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know what? I think you're onto something. I think you're exactly right because because it's permission to have fun. Yes. Okay. I mean, okay. Star you know Wars. I think you brought me around. Yeah. I think you brought me around. First, no, the first movie is so fun, you know, which I still call Star Wars. I don't call it a new hope because it was Star Wars. And it is filled with funny lines. Like the, the banter between like, you know, her, you know, Han Solo and, and Princess Leia is great. You know, there's still lines that people quote all these years later. And, uh, and I think that was another thing that was missing from the special because it was like, it was kind of smart, you know, it was like, just, uh, just Han Solo and, and, and Carrie or Han Solo and Princess Leia, they were both sort of wise asses, you know? And so they were making these just wisecracks and sort of flirting with each other. And it was kind of, you know, it was somewhat sophisticated. I mean, not sophisticated, maybe in the big capital S way, but like. That's why part of the reason I loved Star Wars. And then just when you get to the special, it's just this dopey, like, kindergarten humor and none of that, you know? And you have, like, just Princess Leia saying, we must celebrate life today. <laughs> and it's like, no, I want to see you bantering with Anne Solo. I want to see you, the two of you in the kitchen complaining about, like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know? so, like, that, the holiday <laughs> conversation of just, like, oh, my God. Chewbacca's wife can't cook at all. This food is terrible. You know, just how do you hear the complaining and widescratching? And there's almost none of that, you know? I would I would like to see that yeah. version of the holiday special. I um, see. The John Favreau show. It'll have plenty of that. Exactly. This thought just occurred to me. So hearing your take on Star Wars and what you like about it, would you rather sit down and watch the holiday special or The Phantom Menace? 
well, you, to, to make it fair, you got to throw in the Force Awakens because, like, the Phantom Menace, I just thought was like turgid, but it did it. Like, the pod race was kind of exciting. It had, you know, it had its moments. But uh, the Force Awakens, like, makes me actively angry because, <laughs> because in, you know, like the Star Wars holiday special did horrible things to characters who I loved, but it was kind of like, well, okay, it's on TV and this was clearly a mistake, but in the force awakens, it's just stupid. It's just like, it's just like, Hey, if we kill him, so that'll be dramatic. And it's like, no, you're just, it's just terrible storytelling. And it, so, you know, so I, I guess I would rather, Oh boy, I'd rather watch, the Phantom Menace, you know, because okay. it's got some legitimately entertaining parts uh, and a lot of boring parts. But if I had to watch the Star Wars Holiday Special, it's almost completely boring parts. And even the good parts aren't as good as the good parts of the Phantom Menace. So the order so. is, well, order well, is uh, Force Awakens, like bottom, then the Holiday Special, and then Phantom Menace. Yeah, that's a, that's a like, fair <laughs> ranking. Yeah. I, I kind of had some questions for Andrew about uh some other thought th things that are on your oh sure um well first of all pumpkin head two blood wings yeah uh, you're gonna <laughs> ah yeah um do you, you remember working yes. on that because that's like a movie that's like one of the first like gory like horror movies that like i was stayed up too late and watch on hbo so like i have like a very specific memory of that movie can we give some setup for our listeners and perhaps for me yeah <laughs> as well <laughs> oh, oh yeah well so i like i started uh off in the 90s bouncing around LA from a lot of, you know, it's why I have some sympathy for the Star Wars holiday special, because, you know, you don't always get exactly the writing job that uh, you want. And sometimes you get to really make the best uh, of uh, whatever lands in your lap. And so I worked for um, a company called Motion Picture Corporation of America for a while, where they would just, you know, stuff would kind of come in on a conveyor belt and I'd kind of get assigned to projects now and then. And Blood Wings was one of them where um, I had a uh, friend named Jed Weindraub who was a producer there. And he was, I think, a producer on this sequel, The Pumpkinhead. And at the same time, he was trying to take some of the movies that they were doing at the company and turn them into like video games, sort of early video games that used videos uh, that were actual movie clips and you would sort of play the movie clips. Um, but Blood Wings, like I came in because they got Roger Clinton, Bill Clinton's brother to come in and do a cameo as Mayor Bubba, <laughs> which of course Bubba was what Bill Clinton used to get called. And so I, that they were wedging him into the story. And so like I had to write some scenes for Roger Clinton, which and then That's I was also there I, just on set for some reason. I think, I don't know why I gave her, or maybe I just showed up because I wanted to see pumpkin and getting <laughs> filmed, but in the, in the aftermath, uh, and, and, uh, Amy Dolans, who is the daughter oh. of the sole remaining monkey was, is one of the uh, stars of it. But then in post-production, uh, I showed up and again, I don't think. I think I was just delivering something or I, I don't think I wasn't scheduled to be there, but they needed somebody to, they're doing the sound mix and they didn't like, they didn't think the monster sounded horrifying enough. So I just like being loud, they just had me scream oh, into wow. a microphone. And so I'm like, 
and the screams of Pumpkinhead. <laughs> and also, Pumpkinhead is this demon of vengeance who, um, who, who had been a poor wild boy who got bullied and murdered. And so I was also the screams of the wild boy. So that's like one of my proudest credits. That's awesome. Amazing. <laughs> really, it's, amazing. it's a that's deep awesome. cut. So you mentioned the, the full motion video uh, games because you also did, you wrote, um, yes. I remember the movie Soldier Boys from HBO too. And you oh, wrote the, yes. the full motion video game version of that. Um, and Oh yes. Which was relatively fun to play. <laughs> yeah. I actually I just I watched like part of a long play on on YouTube. It's pretty fascinating. But then uh, Darren Aronofsky directed uh, those those segments. He did. <laughs> Oddly enough, we we uh, I was there. He was directing the video game stuff, and I was like writing stuff. And I have a cameo as a shady mercenary who you can shoot in the head uh, if you uh, play your cards <laughs> right. And and it's interesting because like between. Like, I remember, like, he, because he had been to AFI, and he had done, like, a short film that was well-received, and, and he was, you know, trying to get his independent film going, because it's it's interesting, like, in my lifetime, it used to be that everybody wanted to do independent films, and now everybody wants to uh, launch a pilot, because, you know, everything's, TV's pretty much a lot better than most movies nowadays, and, but, but Darren was, you know, I had like an independent film. I was, I, I was actually like on this job because I had sunk my, <laughs> everything I had. And I was deeply in debt for doing, um, Apocalypse Bop available on YouTube. Uh, I watched you that. want to look it up. Good. But, we'll link uh, it in the show. Yeah. But it's, 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 that's, but, but like, so I was there and Darren was talking about like, oh, I, I, you know, I got an independent film I'm working on. And I remember like he was bouncing ideas off me for what then would become by. And he was nice enough to give me a thanks credit in the end of Pi just for, you know, I like I don't think I really? contributed any ideas, but he oh, like okay. he was bouncing ideas off me. Yeah. That's yeah. So cool. That's interesting. Yeah. And everybody was like, Yeah, it's gonna be like, you know, there's this Hasidic Jew and he has this like way he has like this way to like, you know, beat the Wall Street. And it was like, Okay, well that sounds like an independent film. It sounds very, very you know, and he's gonna drill <laughs> into his head at the end, and I'm like, Yep, okay, I will I'll see it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Sounds good, Darren. Yeah. You should do that. You should <laughs> do that. Good luck with that. One thing I, do, I like about Darren, like, I don't, uh, I'm not a fan of Requiem for a Dream, to put it mildly, but but the thing I do like about Darren's movies is that a lot of independent films now have a sort of sameness. And, you know, when I was growing up, like, independent films were very, very weird. <laughs> like, each one was its own weird entity. Kind of like the Star Wars <laughs> Holiday Special. It's just weird, you know? Uh, and and Darren's movies are always coming from a very distinct place. There aren't a lot of directors who, who do that. I mean, like, the guy who did The Witch and The Lighthouse, he's, like, an exception. Mm -hmm. There are certain directors who still do it, but not not a lot anymore. Yeah, that's true. No, that is certainly true. I did watch American Bop, um, and that was um, like I felt like I just uncovered like a kind of '90s independent uh, film gem. So I definitely, really oh yeah, uh, people seek that out on YouTube. I like it. I think it was your your character at the beginning. There was like a a line at the beginning that made me laugh really hard when you were telling a story at the party at the beginning. <laughs> well, and there, and also uh, it has future reality star Jenny Poulos, uh, who's uh, I forget what her show is called, but anyway, she went on. Uh, she's in it. Um, wait, now I want to know what that reality show is. <laughs> no, uh, she, she's like the assistant for a very neurotic guy who I think is in real estate 
but she sort of became <laughs> like you know the biggest star out of all of us out of it flipping out flipping out yep that's it with jeff lewis i think is is her boss and she's the, is she just in real life that was her job just being the exasperated assistant but then suddenly she was exasperated on tv and became famous so i love her i would love to say that i just pulled that from the deep recesses of my brain but <laughs> wait did i say american uh, bob before apocalypse well i have enjoyed the hell out of this conversation oh yeah um, can you give us a tease or like a status update on the graphic novel you said you've got about 16 pages yes what's the adaptation like like is it more or less the script as written or is it have you changed it at all to fit the medium or yeah it's well so like i said i started it out as a screenplay because i thought this would be like a good like netflix because they have you know I've, i think specifically like there was a movie about hervey villachez you know and i was you know just his life and i just thought well if people are going to see a hervey villachez movie about like 70s showbiz uh, more Argo uh, was another good 70s showbiz story. And I thought, oh, yeah. yeah, man, this is like a story people would, uh, you know, this, this seems worth it. So I wrote it in screenplay form and then adapted it to the stage. And so on stage, there's like more breaking the fourth wall and like talking directly to the audience and stuff. So the graphic novel kind of like takes some of the rewrites I did for the play and then reverse engineers it back kind of into you know, a screenplay form because a graphic novel is more like a movie than a play. And so, but it's, sure. it's, it's pretty close to the, to the, to the story of the stage play with the characters and the dialogue and everything. I'm planning to launch the Kickstarter for that and special, the play.com is where you can go. And, you know, if you want to email me to get on that list and I'll, I'll update it with Kickstarter updates there. Yeah. Well, actually I get contacted recently by a guy in London who somehow heard about it and said that he had a theater troupe and they are doing plays about stuff, uh, stories where like sort of show business or media interacts with real life. And he said, oh, that sounds mm. interesting. And he, I sent it to him. He hasn't read it yet. And so I, be nice. There was a, <laughs> a nice London adaptation. And then I might get back together with Care Lord again. Um, and, you know, once we are absolutely guaranteed no more variants and we are definitely, definitely, definitely out of COVID, we could start planning a state show. But I mean, it's hard to plan something months in advance, knowing it could be derailed at any minute. So we're going to, we're going to, we, that wouldn't be until next year that we would even start considering maybe doing it on stage again. Like I said at the top, I'm really glad that this hopefully is going to exist the graphic novel of special because I really love the show. And it would be great to have this as a companion to the show, not instead of the show, but yeah. as a way to experience special in a form that, you know, can be shared and, and taken home with you. Um, Much like I, as a uh, young uh, uh, Star Wars geek, watched Star Wars over and over again and then bought the Alan Dean Foster novelization of it <laughs> and enjoyed them both. Uh, well, not equally, but yeah. And then the, the, Star, the Marvel Comics adaptation. I was all in on Star Wars amazing so please visit specialtheplay.com and check out the kickstarter for the special graphic novel edition that i really sincerely hope you reach your goal because i want this to exist for selfish reasons nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> and i can't wait until you're able to mount a new production because i would love to see the show again yeah i think oh, yeah. well listen if there are any theater producers 
that you know are uh, listening to this, please also go to specialtheplay.com. There's a link there that says, hey, if you have inquiries about, you know, doing a production, you know, we've uh, we've had, uh, well, you know, like I said, a, a whole other theater company contacted us and just said, we'll do it. And I didn't get to see their production of it, but by all means, this definitely should be on stages all around America. So <laughs> feel free to and contact hey, me through the site. And hey, who knows? I mean, if we live in a world that can sustain not one, but two TV shows about the making of The Godfather, surely there's room for one about the making of the Star yeah. Wars holiday special, no? Are there so, really so two? I didn't know yeah, there were there, two of them. Yeah, there's one um, based on Robert Evans' memoir, and then there's another that that is about. Um, I'm actually forgetting off the top of my head, but yes, there's the offer that's on Paramount Plus or will be on Paramount Plus, and then there's I know there's another one. It's sort of like a volcano Dante's yeah. peak situation. Yeah, Armageddon. Armageddon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yes, specialtheplay.com. Please consider backing the Kickstarter because this graphic edition of Special should exist. And let's all try and help our friend Andrew make it a reality. And if you like what you heard, please consider visiting trashcompod.com where you can rate and review the show. We are Trashcompod across all social media. And see you on the next one.